and welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, sponsored by Laker Microsystems. I'm Victoria Reese, editor of Drug Target Review. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Toby Langanan, Professor of Biochemistry at the Universität Leipzig, and Dr. Abdullah Ahmed, who is an Advanced Workflow Specialist from Leica Microsystems. Toby and Abdullah will be discussing the applications and the challenges of microscopy in neuroscience, with a specific focus on understanding the molecular basis of mechanoreceptive and synaptic pathways. They will also be examining some of the technologies that can help to overcome these challenges. So I'll hand over to Abdullah and Toby now. Thank you, Victoria. So let me start with myself. I'm Abdullah. I'm one of the advanced workflow specialists at Leica Microsystems. I'm based in the UK and I cover predominantly wide field microscopy. I have a PhD in cancer research and I've been doing microscopy for over seven years, ranging from confocal, super resolution, multiphoton, fluorescence lifetime imaging, and also now wide field. I specialize mainly with our Thunder technology and perhaps Toby, let's hear a little bit from you. Yes, sure. So I'm Toby. I'm a medical doctor by training, obtained my MD degree in Germany at the University of Würzburg. And after that, I decided not to become a clinician, but to specialize in neuroscience. So I went on Wellcome Trust scholarship to the UK, to the University of Oxford, where I obtained a master's degree from Somerville College and Oxford University, and then stayed on for a DPhil, Magdalen College and the Department of Biochemistry of Oxford, and that was back then that I uh, got attracted by the topics that I've been specializing in and that I'm still working in, which is uh, synaptic communication and signaling pathways that I relate through a specific type of surface receptor molecules. I went back to Germany then later on and opened my own lab and was attracted to Leipzig, which is in the eastern part of Germany, a very beautiful city there, uh, six years ago, where I took uh, up a chairman position uh, at the Department of Biochemistry at a medical faculty. Oh, wow. Toby, I mean, that, that's really impressive. That's really impressive. I mean, this is such a small world. I've been in Oxford for five years myself. I did uh, my PhD in the south of Oxford. But now you've moved to Germany. I mean, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your current research and what are some of the questions you are currently looking to answer? Sure. So, so my lab is divided and concentrates on two different topics mainly. One topic is how molecules at synapses, which are the communication hubs between nerve cells and nerve cells and their innervated organs like muscles, for example, how they're composed and how they manage to generate that fascinating capacity to communicate with each other at very high speed and precision. Therefore, we investigate these synaptic protein assemblies using in vitro and in vivo methods. Um, we use as an in vivo animal model Drosophila melanogaster, a fruit fly. They're a remarkably versatile model organisms since about 120 years since their introduction by Thomas Hunt Morgan in the early 20th century. The second topic my lab is interested in is concerned with a group of molecules that are termed adhesion-type G-protein-coupled receptors. So this is a very specific term, and it's a very specific topic, but all of us 
know about the workings and relevance of uh, GPCRs, that's the abbreviation for G-protein coupled receptors, because about half of all the drugs prescribed are targeting these surface receptors. So if you ever experienced an allergy or experienced high blood pressure or you're suffering from asthma, for example, it's drugs that target the G-protein coupled receptors that are basically in the focus, in the crosshairs of these compounds. The specific type of GPCRs I'm interested in is a molecule family that uh, we discovered has mechanoceptive properties. So these molecules measure physical forces and that occur in between cells in our bodies and translate them into biochemical messages over the plasma membrane. Wow. I think everyone can appreciate, you know, going back to our understanding of biochemistry with GPCRs, we have this cascade of signaling and uh, second messengers. And in your case, what is the main drive and motivation? Because, I mean, what makes your research different to the current research where there are drug molecules that are being targeted against certain subunits? Are you looking more about how, for example, you could design drugs which can inhibit some of these mechanical properties in terms of the stimulus, or is it more intracellular? So as to the question, uh, what, what drives my research, it's actually pure curiosity. And adhesion GPCRs are a good example for that. Because when I took up my first project, which was back in the days at the start of my PhD or DPhil project at Oxford, there were half a dozen of labs in the world working on these receptors. And that was for obvious reasons, because they are very large proteins. Hence, they're encoded by very large genes. And therefore, about 20 years ago, it was very hard to manipulate them molecularly. So the effect of that lack of research back in the day was that nobody really knew what these adhesion GPCRs are doing, so what the physiological role of these receptors is. And so I started to work on them basically just to find out why fruit flies, why animals generally and also why humans possess a very large battery of them encoded in our genomes and that's where my story with them started and along the way over the past years we gradually unraveled aspects of their molecular signaling but also importantly of their physiological function as to the utility of that research that goes beyond pure curiosity, so pure understanding of what these molecules do and how they do it, we are now at the stage that we can slowly progress into more translational or applicable zones of research. We're not at a crossroads that we can already design molecules that interfere with their workings, but we now have gathered a very clear understanding, at least about some of the details of these receptors that other colleagues of my lab are now starting to think about and research how molecules may be developed that interfere with their physiological function and that could modulate also their function if found in diseased contexts. That sounds so, so exciting. And I assume a microscopy is one of the techniques that you use part of this research. And I was wondering if you could tell us why microscopy is important and what insight does it provide that you can't get from other techniques? 
So one of the advantages, of course, of microscopy is that we get a clear understanding where the proteins, be it adhesion G-protein coupled receptors, be it synaptic uh, molecules that execute neurotransmission are located within a cell. And it's clear this is a very important information that needs to be factored in when trying to understand the workings of any molecule. So if we take the example of GPCRs, which is of course heavily investigated by pharmacologists, the molecular workings of GPCRs are analyzed in deconstructed systems like cell expression systems or even cell-free uh, systems. And this is important because it allows pharmacologists and later on then pharmacists to define very specific details on how these receptor molecules work, how they transduce messages from one component of a pathway to the other. However, these molecules, they are not solitary molecules in our bodies, hence their position within the cell is very important in order to understand what they do within an individual cell type, within an organ, and within the context of an entire body. Therefore, microscopy and the ability to locate receptor molecules or synaptic molecules is of utmost importance. Absolutely. I mean, it's this idea of seeing things in real time in situ, which is mesmerizing. And how are you currently labeling these? Are you using GFP-based technology? I assume this is all in living cells. Yes. So most of it is in living cells. Of course, we also do histological sections of uh, organs that we're interested in, so specifically from the fly. So we use all different sorts of labeling techniques. We start with uh, immunohistochemical approaches where we use antibodies that are raised against the native proteins of our interest, or we use uh, immunohistochemical approaches in conjunction with molecular labeling techniques through which we introduce chemical tags, biochemical tags into the target proteins of interest, for example, through CRISPR-Cas9 engineering, and then use these tags then to label them and make them visible under the microscope. We also use genetically encoded chromophores like GFP variants, for example, to label the target proteins of interest in living cells as well. And we have lately come across a very impressive technique that relies on genetic code expansion, where we recode a stop codon of the genetic code by the insertion of a, a tRNA synthetase, which will then introduce an artificial amino acid at a specific position of the target protein. This artificial amino acid or unnatural amino acid, how it's called by other authors, is able to accept click labels. So chromophores that can be attached in a spontaneous chemical reaction to this unnatural amino acid. And therefore, we can label very specific positions, sometimes even deep within existing protein domains of a protein without harming this protein because the label itself is only a single amino acid in size. I personally wasn't aware that that type of technology even existed now. Because <laughs> I remember going back to my days of studies, you know, it made a big difference. For example, some of these fluorophores are quite chunky and having them on the end terminus, if there is, for example, a nuclear localization signal, it would affect the function of your protein. So to have this type of technology, also to have CRISPR now, it, it's more readily accessible. Looking back, you know, what, five years ago, it was still being explored, let's say. So then moving back to the idea of your 
microscopy, then I would assume that to image some of these type of samples, you would need, especially if, let's say, the subcellular process is quite fast, you would need to be able to acquire images quite rapidly at good frame rates. And also, if, let's say, you are labeling endogenous proteins, then you would need, I guess, good sensitivity. So with that in mind, what are the main challenges of microscopy that you come across in your research? Yeah, I mean, these are very good points. So one of is, of course, the sensitivity of the imaging system combined with the photon amount that actually we retrieve from a photon source that we use, so be it a fluorophore or be a, an antibody that's labeled with a fluorophore. Uh, so that's one of the limitations. And every experiment needs to be calibrated in the first place in order to tell us or provide us with suitable information about the system we're investigating at the moment. Another Good point is, of course, also the dynamics, the dynamics of the protein that we're investigating. And these dynamics also are most of the time very poorly understood so far. So sometimes it matters very much, for example, if receptor protein is positioned at the cell surface where it is accessible for a ligand or where it's accessible for a mechanical force to be transmitted to them or whether it's just sitting underneath the plasma membrane and the time it takes a cell to shuttle an intracellularly located protein to the plasma membrane is of utmost importance because it will tell us how fast a cell can render itself susceptible to a specific stimulus coming from the outside. Other complications and reservations that we always encounter is questions of polarity. So we, for example, need to tease out and tease apart whether a specific cell is enriched in one specific compartment of a cell. So for neurons, for example, we need to know whether a synaptic protein is located all over the neuron's cell body and its extensions or whether it's accumulated at a specific site. So for example, an axonal bouton or a dendrite. So for that, the exact amount of protein needs to be gorged semi-quantitatively, but for some projects, we even actually need to know how many single proteins are present. So in the past, in order to gather this knowledge, we have in the past used D-store microscopy, for example, to get a quantitative understanding on protein amounts. So these are very different levels of protein localization that factors in the protein function in the end. Absolutely. And I think that's really, really important. And why did you choose the Thunder imaging system from Leica? And what challenges does it help you to overcome? So I think the experiment that got me was that we were investigating a gene expression pattern. So let me briefly describe the experimental setup. So we, we were investigating an adhesion GPCR, which, has, which we just discovered back in the day. So what we did is we put genetically encoded chromophore under the control of the promoter of that gene. So in order to identify the cells and organs in which this gene is active. That would then tell us where we would have to look for the function of that protein of interest that's encoded by the gene. We produce transgenic animals and we put a larva, which is a, a developmental stage that a fruit fly is passing through on way to becoming an adult animal. We put a larva expressing that transcriptional reporter under a thunder setup. And 
usually we have to open these larvae or our animals generally in order to get a, a clear view on the organ of interest where the fluorescence would be then recordable. So we did this with an intact animal and we put it under the thunder system and to our surprise we could obtain very highly resolved images three-dimensional images of the expression pattern of uh, that animal. And that, of course, has the big advantage that we don't have to manipulate uh, the animals to prepare them for imaging. So we can basically obtain similar, like an uh, MRI machine, if you like, high-resolved images even of in individual cell types that would show expression of our gene of interest. And this, is, of course, has a clear advantage over the classical imaging techniques. Absolutely. Because I guess, Toby, you've tried yourself when you look at a raw wide field image and you have a look at that in 3D, all you see is this blurry blob in three dimension, right? And you're trying to rotate this and there's nothing because the details are now so obscured by the out of focus blur. But once you apply that computational clearing and you do some of the adaptive deconvolution, you can now start to see some fine structures and also even start to look at single cell type details with that process. And now moving towards the end, what's next for you? I mean, how do you see your research evolving? So one of the areas of interest is now to use microscopy also to study protein dynamics at a single molecule level. So not single cell, but single molecule level. And the technique that we're using is termed FRET, which is fluorescence resonance energy transfer or FIRSTA resonance energy transfer. And this is a technique where we mount two different chromophores in close vicinity to each other, either within the same protein or target molecule or mounting, we mount them on two different molecules that can move in close proximity to each other within a cell. And then we can record by the energy that's transferred from one chromophore to the next one, the proximity, basically. So we have a quantitative understanding how a molecule moves, for example, a receptor molecule upon seeing its ligand. And this is one of the main challenges in our field to resuscitate the still images that we get from classical microscopy, so be it wide field, confocal, or even super resolution microscopy, and turn them into dynamic videos or movies of molecular motions of molecular movements. So that's the next challenge, specifically when projecting the self-movements of molecules onto specific domains within a cell. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's this idea that with microscopy, it's always going to be diffraction limited. But when we start to look at some of these phenomenal tools that we have access to, things like FRET, looking at these interactions which only happen at 10 nanometers, we're starting to look at things that are almost at the atomic level, which is absolutely amazing to look at these interactions to better our understanding. So then that brings us to the end and I'll pass over to Victoria now. Thank you for your fantastic conversation there. I'm afraid though that is all we have time for today, but it's been really great to hear all of your interesting points. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be part of this amazing podcast. And thank you, Toby, for giving us the time to share some of the amazing research that you're doing in your lab. 
Thanks also for listening to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast sponsored by Lake and Microsystems. Keep an eye out for our next podcast coming soon. Thank you.